lot to it. It's, um, yes, it's Ephesians. It starts right off in Ephesians chapter 5 with therefore. And, you know, just the way translations work, I, I had this happen to me at a Bible study this week on another, another book. Um, a guy brought up, he's like, this whole thing has to do with this other section. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, cover up that, and I forget what, I don't even remember what we were talking about, but it was like a big chapter three marker right there. He said, cover up that chapter three marker and read it from chapter two right through. And I never, I mean, I'm always the advocate of don't let the chapter numbers mess you up in what you're reading. And boy, it, it had me all messed up and changed the whole reading for me. So here it is, Ephesians 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God. And of course, as soon as you see therefore, you've got to work backwards. Why be imitators of God? Why does it say that? Well, because the very last verse of Ephesians 4, which is, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Again, we're going to get into a whole bunch of rules today. A whole bunch of do this, do that, here's how you should do it. But it's all a response. It's not a, I'm going to do this so I can be holy. It's, God has made me holy. What, what do I do now? How, how do I act? What, what should I do? You get this when you, get a job, when you start a new job and every workplace is different and every office is different and every boss is different and you go to work somewhere and uh, you kind of have post-traumatic stress disorder from your old job and all the bad shortcomings of your old job and you kind of bring them along into your new job and all of a sudden you tense up because you're getting a cup of coffee and you don't know if you're allowed to get a cup of coffee and your boss walks by and then your boss says, hey, come in here, have a seat. Look at this, I want to show you. And you sit there for 25 minutes looking at pictures of his fishing trip over the weekend and you're like, okay, this is different. What was that tension? That tension was, I want to act in a certain way. I want to be, I want to act in a certain way because I've been hired at this new job, I want to, you know, not sit around and look at fishing pictures for 25 minutes. Because my old job, that would have gotten me fired. But now, right? All of this stuff in Ephesians is, you've been hired. You've been saved. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He forgave, he forgave us our sins. And that makes in us a way that we want to act. And sometimes it's going to cause tension with the way we used to act, or it may cause tension with the way all of our friends act, but God might be calling us to act. I mean, even though they're Christians, and I'm not going to put them down, but God might be calling you to act differently than your Christian friends. Isn't that wild? That you might not. I mean, there's different different callings for different people. That's Romans 15, all that business. So, therefore, since you've been forgiven, be imitators of God as beloved children. Like, seriously, we're coming into church and Levi um, starts acting like Mike at the door. And he opens the door and he shakes my hand. Good to see you, Pastor Dan. Let, you know, shaking my hand and all that. I love that. Right? And Mike loves that. 
our, we love it when our kids act like us on the good, on the good parts, right? <laughs> in the good ways. God loves us so much. He's forgiven our sins, but then he gets that extra delight when we imitate him, when we act like the way he acts. He just, oh, I love it. I love that. That's, that, that's the Lord. How do we do that? Be imitators of God. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. That's it. How do you imitate God? Walk in love. He's going to give more details on that over the next two chapters. But that really is, it really is that simple at that point. Giving up yourself. Offering yourself up for others as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So, Paul details this stuff because remember the church is new. The church is a new invention. Christians are, are a recent discovery. They could all act like Jews, but, but they're not under the law. So you don't really want to act like the Jews acted. You don't want to just copy that. This is a whole new thing. And so Paul, instead of leaving all the churches to just kind of figure this stuff out, he's going to give them a couple little pointers. Because it's important. We need pointers. We need a little bit of help, but it's all offered in freedom. It's all, it's all given. Um, you know, when you learn how to give CPR, everybody makes the same mistake. And they, you get the dummy there, and you, they say, do the chest compressions. And you get on there, and you start doing push-ups, right? And you start pushing on it. And the, I, I mean, every time I've ever done it, I know the secret now. But I, every, whoever else is in my class, they all get the same thing. And the teacher says, oh, don't bend your elbows. Don't bend your elbows. And it has something to do with how long you can go like this versus how long you can go like that using your back and your shoulder and how much power you have. Now, I'm really glad that they correct you during that class because if I'm laying here and I need CPR, that's not the time for you to learn how to do it the right way. Paul gives these instructions. He gives these instructions because the church is new and any moment Jesus could return. And we don't have time to do a bad job at figuring out Christianity. How's that? How's that for some weight? Okay, what if it's not about Jesus returning? Because we've been waiting for Jesus to return for 2,000 years. But for some people... The end of the world is going to be today. For some people, the end of the world is going to be tomorrow. And so that ramps up the urgency that, that we can't take forever to figure out this Christianity thing. If we could get some tips, that would be super helpful. And so here they are. And he starts, he starts right, I mean, he goes rated R immediately. Sexual immorality, all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. He, he does not hesitate. He doesn't build up because he knows, he knows how the world is, especially Ephesus, especially Evansville, especially Las Vegas, especially Evansville, right? I mean, this is, this is 
We can't point to some other place and say that they're more evil than we are. We have, we have this evil right here among us. Sexual immorality, all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. He's not saying that there's this law that you better not make a dirty joke or you're going to hell. Okay? I love how he says it. These are out of place. This is, this is out of place. If you, if you think through who you are, I, who I am in Christ, and how just resplendent and golden I am, how, how white and pure my clothing is, it would be really out of place for me to say something crude. If, if I'm that holy, right? You know, the, whole, the old joke of, do you kiss your mother with that mouth? You know, do you worship God with this mouth? James would say that salt water and fresh water can't come out of the same spring. That thanksgiving and rejoicing have a place. And if, if it's, you know, it always throws you off when, when somebody, you know, you, you've got that first moment where you've got this really respected person that's really honorable and you really think they're really awesome and they let a cuss word fly. And you're kind of like, what? That's just not fitting for that person. But then it works the other way, right? You got the dude with all the tattoos and body piercings and leather and all that business and you get a little bit nervous or you're mowing your grass and the, the homeless looking dude comes up and he smells real bad and he shakes your hand and then he says, I praise God every day for you guys living in our neighborhood. What? Why was that out of place? Because I was judging him from 20 feet away. Right. All of these words, filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking, impurity, covetousness, sexual immorality are out of place in the church. They're out of place among us. They just don't fit. Why? Because we're holy. We're precious. We're, we're the hope. We are the hope of the Lord. We're, we're the hope of the world. When we're in the Lord, when, when, the, when, the, when the world looks at the church, they should see God's plan for them. God's plan for the whole city. God's plan for the whole, whole creation. It doesn't mean we don't ever talk about these things. Because that would be totally wrong. This is the, the whole Me Too movement and, and all the, the stuff about sexual harassment that's starting to come up. Uh, for a long time, the church has been the worst at let's not talk about that. And that's just gotten us into more trouble. Instead of embracing people that are hurt and saying, you know, what happened to you was wrong, and we're going to do things here to make sure it doesn't, it doesn't happen again. That's awesome. So it doesn't mean don't talk about it. It means be pure of it. Be, be blameless of it. Right? We, have, we have rules um, just as a family set up that I don't have women Facebook friends. And Cindy doesn't have Facebook friends that are men. Because we, we want to be blameless. 
And then everyone's, well, we have to break that rule and we talk through, why do we have to do that? Well, she, I have to be the administrator of this organization's page and she can't make the, you know, all that. We talk through that stuff, but otherwise we try to stay super blameless on this stuff, right? So nobody can accuse us. If um, when we've had women live in our house, I try super hard to never be home alone while that lady is the other one that's home because we don't want the neighbors to look over and say, oh, there's something going on there. We want it not even spoken of. So why in the world did Dan come home from work, go in the house, come right back out, and he's sitting on the porch? Because I don't want my neighbors to talk about us. So you've you, you got to go out of your way. You've got to do these things. So let's talk about this list. Filthiness. Filthiness is going gonna, is gonna to be a range. It's going to be a gray, a gray area. It's going gonna, it's gonna to change depending on what it is. Filthiness. Um, we, we have some friends, and they, uh, they were going door to door, and they were evangelizing. And this guy came to the door with his shirt off. And so they're on the porch telling this guy with his shirt off about Jesus. And my friend, the evangelist, says to the guy, Hey, man, we have women present. Could you put your shirt on? That's pretty bold, right? You just came to my house. You dragged me out of my house. You're preaching at me on my own front porch. And now you're telling me to go in and put my shirt on because there's women present. And the guy did. Oh, okay. Yeah, hold on. Goes in the house, puts his shirt on, comes back out. Like that is just like a little sign of, wow, that something resonated with that guy. That there's a, there's a, a better way. There's a right way, right? It, so it's going to totally change with the culture. I don't know that I would have cared, but that was the thing that they brought up. Filthiness ranges according to the culture. Um, how, we, how we talk to people, how we, how we respect people, how we honor people, it's going to change with the culture. In, um, in African-American culture, people don't make eye contact while they talk to each other. We would... You might stand for a half hour and talk to a guy and you're both looking in the same direction side to side. Middle to upper class white person culture, that's totally offensive. Why don't you look me in the eye? Why can't you look me in the eye while you're talking to me? So sometimes you got to be sensitive to what is filthy, right? Don't be offended if, if the guy doesn't look you in the eye because that's actually how he's bringing you honor in his culture. What? Crazy. Crude jokes. Crude jokes, they're only, you, you know them when you hear them, right? And the hard part about that is they're so easy. It's so easy. Our, our culture is full of jokes that are hinting at some other, you know, sexual innuendo, some other side thing, or, or hinting at cutting down somebody, or, or making fun of poking at somebody. That's... It, Honestly, that's probably the most difficult one for me because it's just so easy to let a little mean joke fly or, a, or a, a, a cut. You know, it says crude jokes. That doesn't just mean, you know, dirty words. It, it can be any, any range of things that aren't fitting for the Lord. Covetousness. 
Don't let covetousness be, be spoken of among you. Don't even let there be a sign of it. What is covetousness? It's a greedy desire to have more. I want more. I want more. I got to have more of this and more of this. Um, don't even let us be blamed. Let us not even be blamed for as, as that. Let us, let us not have a reputation for being greedy. And it says further, but instead thanksgiving, generosity, not greed. We, we do our farm stand and every once in a while we'll have a new person that really thinks that we're trying to just get all their money out of them. And sometimes I can detect that and they're like super, you know, they got all their shields up against us and they're like, does that one have a hole in it? Or, you know, that one, that one looks wilted and, and this one's too small. And all of that gets blown away when I say, you know what, I'm going to give you this one too. If you, if you get the, uh, here's another. And I hit them with some generosity and it's like a wrecking ball through that wall. And all of a sudden, it's, it's not that I'm taking your money because I need to make money and I'm greedy for more. It's we're taking money because dirt costs, water costs, and, but you're still getting the better deal here. You didn't have to sweat all day, right? You know, I don't bring all that up, but as soon as I hit them with a little generosity, this whole idea that we're greedy and that we're trying to make money off of poor people gets blown out of the water. Don't even let greed, don't let there be any sign of greed. Uh, there's been times in our house where I've complained, oh, you use too much soap in the sink to wash the dishes. I'll complain, Cindy, and we'll have this bad day because I was just grumpy and at the end of the day, you know, I might go run on an errand and I'm at the store and I see that this big old gallon tankard of dishwashing soap costs 287 so I ruined our whole day over about four cents. And I'm like, gosh, Lord, I would pay like $7 to have my day back. What did all that come out of? This greedy desire to have more, right? Like, like all of a sudden we're going to be rich if we don't use so much dish soap. But it, it comes up in funny little ways. Don't let it even be named among you. No greed. And impurity. Okay, so why is impurity in a list with sexual immorality, covetousness, filthiness? Well, this impurity, the, the Greek word, has a connotation of out-of-control living. With no discernment, no wisdom, no thoughtfulness, and wasteful. Just completely not, not considerate. So that's a little bit different than impurity, right? That starts to hit into more aspects of our lives. Don't let any part of our life be characterized by wastefulness or recklessness or immorality where we just don't even care what anybody thinks and brr, you know, we do this real inconsiderate thing. Wow. So if you take all of that together, it's kind of hard, right? But all of that are very practical and right in the midst of our lives examples of be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, 
as God in Christ forgave you. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. If the natural me is to slip in a a stupid joke after everything somebody says, I'm giving a little bit of myself up by not telling those cut, cut down jokes. If me, the natural me, if it's who I am, it's, it's who I, I've always been this way, is greedy and always wanting more and always looking for how can I get more stuff or how can I get more of these or how can I make myself more famous. If I don't do that, I'm denying myself, giving myself up for others to let others have some of that stuff, to let others have some of that attention. All of that, all of that goes back to giving ourselves up. The filthiness, the crude jokes, the covetousness, and the, the wasteful impurity. We give ourselves up for the sake of Christ because He loves us so much for others. It's so much better when other people get stuff that you weren't greedy for. And it's so fun when all of a sudden they share it with you. The thing that you wanted, the thing that you wanted to get all of, they get instead, and then they share it with you, and it's their responsibility anyway, but you get to play, right? I mean, I'm speaking figuratively, but, but that's, that's the kingdom of heaven in action right there, of watching somebody else's joy. We tell this to our kids all the time. You'll get more joy playing with that toy if you let your brother play with it instead of keeping it to yourself. And they, they do. All of this happens, and it does not happen on accident. It does not happen uh, because I'm whimsically letting the Lord change me. No, I need to listen to the Lord. I need to ask the Lord, what do you want to change in me? And then he says stuff like this in his word. It's, it's a forward-moving thing. This goes to um, Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Paul says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that he will also reap. If you plant corn, you're going to harvest corn. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But to the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Whatever you're taking in, whatever you're living according to, whatever you're making a habit about, that's what's going to come out of your life. There was a time in college and I was taking all these martial arts classes. And I was learning, you know, here's how you rip off a thumb, just like that. Here's how you break a guy's arm and beat him over the head with it, just like that. All this business. And I realized I learned how to do all that without even thinking. That it was just a reflex. And it really freaked me out. And I think, and I've talked to other martial arts experts since then, that, that I was right at the dangerous spot, that if I would have stayed with it a little bit more, I would have learned self-control. Pretty typical that I dropped out just before I learned self-control. Because it scared me. It was weird. Just being able to do all that stuff by a reflex. Why? Because I was training. I was sowing into my flesh that if somebody does this, you make this move and now they're laying on the ground. If you sow into, if this happens, then that, you're going to reap that. That's going to come out of your life. 
I, I got a real big look at this. Uh, we were, so we're living overseas, and Western media was hard to come by. If you wanted to watch a movie that came out in the United States, you could go down and buy a DVD of a, of a current movie, maybe even the week before it came out, for about 50 cents on a DVD. And you'd watch the movie, and in the middle of the movie, somebody would get up and walk down the aisle because it came from China where they were holding their camcorder at the movie theater. And uh, sometimes you'd watch three parts of the movie from different angles because the guy got caught with his camera and he had to come back and watch them. It was just real weird. So what did the missionaries do? Whenever somebody came and visited, he'd say, hey, can you bring me this movie and this movie and this movie from America? And then we'd all pass them around. So all these people are carrying on about this show. And we borrow the DVD and we watch it. And it's our show. We, oh, we, oh, goodness. How do people watch this? How, do, how can people, oh, this, there's just ungodliness and unholiness all over in this movie. All over in this, oh, we can't, we can't do it. So a couple days later, walking down the street, and I see my friend from England. And he says, hey, how's it going? I said, pretty good. He said, hey, did you watch that movie? And I was like, yeah, man, there was just a lot of sex in that movie. And it was just not, it was not right. There was all kinds of just terrible, tear down relationships and uh, just unholy, unholy stuff. And he looked at me, he said, oh, I forgot you're American. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? He's like, oh, American, how many people died in that movie? I said, what do you mean? He's like, how many innocent people died? To like count it up. And I was like, well, I don't know. I mean, like maybe five or six hundred. He said, yeah, American Christians can tolerate violence and innocent people dying, but they can't handle sex. Whoa. We were offended at this movie because of three sex scenes. But there were about five scenes where hundreds of people were killed and that didn't move us. That didn't move our hearts. See, what we sow, we reap. And if we're, we, we grow up in this culture, we grow up in a culture that, that looks down on sex on TV, but promotes and likes and accepts all this violence, we're going to reap this, this hard-heartedness that's not moved when you know, the airplane blows up and all the people die, you don't feel compassion. You feel, oh, that, oh, that, was, that lady, was, that was diabolical. That was so slick how she pulled that off. But then we're offended when you know, the guy cheats on you know, whatever. That's, how, that's another version of this, what we sow, we reap. Because if we sow hard-heartedness, if we sow... This, I'm not bothered by that kind of stuff on TV, then we won't be bothered by it. We'll reap what we sow. Now, all of this doesn't mean we go home and we burn all of our R movies and we judge each other for what movies we watch and what movies we don't watch. It just means we run for freedom. We run, we run, run for freedom in Christ. And we say, we do this at our house. We go see a movie. We say, we pray before we see the movie and we say, Lord, Use this movie to build up good qualities in us. 
And if we start to watch a movie and it doesn't build up good qualities in us, we turn it off. This is why, this is kind of funny, our family has never seen all of Lilo and Stitch. It's a Disney movie. It's totally adorable. It's cute and it's silly. But this kid in the movie always goes, Wah! And, and we didn't want our kids to imitate that behavior. <laughs> Turn it off, quick. We don't want to sew this. We watch all kinds of horrible, violent movies, but we don't watch Lilo and Stitch. That's going to, Isaac said he's going to do that when he goes to college. He's like, I'm good. He's, seriously, he has said, I'm going to watch Lilo and Stitch all the way to the end. <laughs> Some kids go to college, get drunk. Our kid goes, watches Lilo and Stitch. You may be sure of this. This is, this is uh, verse 5. Everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of, obedience, of disobedience. Wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. What about forgiveness of sins? What about, what about freedom in Christ? What about... What about my sins being as far away as the east is from the west? This is a big deal. This is where this, we, keep, we keep this from becoming another law. There's a difference between me drawing my identity from my sinful lifestyle and me drawing my identity from Christ and occasionally stumbling and occasionally sinning. And the difference is, is, is in your identity of who you are. The devil would love to rip you off. And every time you struggle with the sin, to tell you that's what your identity is. You are, uh, we'll do hubcaps. You are a hubcap stealer. You've always been a hubcap stealer, and you're going to always be a hubcap stealer. And Dan said, reading Ephesians, that nobody that's a hubcap stealer will inherit the kingdom of God. The difference is, I, do I draw my identity from being a hubcap stealer? No. I, I serve Christ. I'm bought by Him. I'm washed in His blood. I am saved. And sometimes I am tempted to steal hubcaps. And sometimes I stumble and I fall and I give in to that. But that is not my identity. That is not who I am in my core. That's just a bad habit. That I'm struggling, walking with the Lord, and being renewed day to day. And I might fail again tomorrow and steal another hubcap. But drawing, where do you get your identity from? This is the scary thing about how we identify ourselves. And what we take pride in. Are we proudly, arrogantly, flagrantly sinning? Because that's what that's talking about. Are we boldly proclaiming ourselves, my identity is XYZ, whatever sin. And doing it and being proud of it. That's, that's scary and dangerous. He says, don't become partners with them. At one time you were in darkness. You weren't any better. You weren't any better than these people that identify themselves as XYZ sinful activity. But now you are light in the Lord. 
Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Again, you have to be deliberate. If, if, I, if I go out to lunch with a buddy, and he's flirting with the waitress, I have to make a conscious effort to not show him that I approve of what he's doing. Like, I have to do one level of effort of to not do it with him, right? But I have to do another level of effort to say, you know what? I want you to know I'm not going to participate with you in that. And it doesn't have to be that deliberate. It could be as subtle as, dude, does your wife know that you say stuff like that to other women? Okay, that's not subtle. <laughs> we... We don't want to participate in bad stuff because what's going to happen? What, what, how does that play out? It plays out that after lunch, he goes back to his desk and he doesn't have any guilt because he doesn't care. You're going to go back to your desk and you're going to start to pray and you're going to have guilt. And it's not that you've sinned and it's not that you are on your way to hell now. And it's not that God's not going to answer any of your prayers. It's that... There's that awkwardness between you and the Lord that you know you did something you shouldn't have. And the Lord really wants you to spend your time praying to Him with thanksgiving and joy and not wasting a whole bunch of time in guilt and asking for forgiveness for the same thing over and over again. So, don't be partners with sin. You were, don't be arrogant, you were just as messed up as that sinner is. But don't, don't participate in that stuff. Overcome it. This is a great, this is one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes. C.S. Lewis says, No man knows how bad he is until he has tried very hard to be good. A silly idea is current that good people don't know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in to it. When you're tempted to do something, you don't know how strong that temptation is unless you resist it. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. When you're tempted to sin, when you're tempted to, to gossip, slander, lust, malign, have greed, wait 15 minutes. Pause that stuff. Hold on a minute. And you might be surprised that it doesn't even last five minutes. The devil, I mean, there's this idea that the devil is strong. The devil is not very strong compared to Jesus. Jesus will win. That's why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in to badness. Isn't that wild? The sheltered life is the one that always gives in, doesn't resist. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because He was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows the f to the full 
what temptation means. Jesus is the only one that knows how long it lasts in every circumstance because he's the only one that never gave in. That's why we can pray to him. That's why we can go to verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. It's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. You, that, ah, oh, I wish I could. There's so many times I want to yell that with a bullhorn. It's shameful for Christians to talk about what sinners do. Is that crazy? Because if, if I start to tell my wife about all the details of this sinner that I know, what have I just filled our house with? All kinds of glory to Satan. All kinds of glory to the devil for what an excellent job he did in this person's sin. Wow. So again, talking about carrying on about exalting in how evil something is bring is not fitting for the kingdom of God. It's not fitting for God's house. See the other temptation there just just to be straight up honest, if I carry on about how this guy embezzled all this money and now he has 6 million dollars, how many of us inside be like, "Hmm, $6 million would be nice. What did we just do? We just put ourselves into his situation after he committed all this sin. Does God want us to use our imagination for that? No way, Jose. It's shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. There's this super popular thing that's to like talk about how bad somebody, you know, the, the so-and-so did this terrible thing and then he did this, right? Um, they talk about, you know, some, somebody did a horrible thing and he did it on this day, like to make it even worse. You know what? All you had to do was say the dude sinned. That's all I need to know to pray for him, that I need to work on forgiving him, I need to see God forgiving him. I don't need all the details. Those details don't bring glory to God. They bring glory to Satan. And they exalt what a great job Satan did in luring this person through this long path of sin. If we did that, though, you would have to shut down like all news media. And I don't know how people would buy trucks. When anything exposed, uh, it's shameful to even speak of the things they do in secret. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Exposed. Don't, don't take part in deeds of darkness, but expose them. All right? Expose them. And when I see that, I feel my finger point, and I want to point out all the sin that people do, right? Maybe I'm alone in that. When anything is exposed by the light, point your finger. It becomes visible. Then there's this weird business about exposing. Anything that becomes visible is light. Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. See, darkness is not exposed by our elaborate and savory description of darkness. Darkness is exposed by light. 
no matter how juicy a detail I get in explaining darkness, that's not exposing darkness. That's glorifying darkness. If I glorify light, if I talk about Jesus rescuing, saving, forgiving, that's where the light comes in. That's where I shine a light. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. This is not a woe is me, we're all going to hell. The earth is over, it's just going to get worse. Days are evil. This is make the most of your time. Be wise and shine light. Exalt Jesus. Draw attention to his light. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Give thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why does he say don't get drunk? Because alcohol is terrible. Okay, we had this conversation at a Bible study I was in. Um, if you don't have a refrigerator and you have grape juice, you have to have wine or you'll have diarrhea. Because wine doesn't keep, or grape juice doesn't keep. It has to be fermented into wine to keep it. So yes, Jesus drank wine. There was alcohol in that stuff. The only time you could drink grape juice in a a non-Arctic, non-refrigerator culture was the day it was made. Because if you... Try this at home uh, on a Monday. Um, Smash some grapes, let them sit for a day... And then drink that down and watch what happens. It had, there had to be alcohol in it to keep it from making you sick. This isn't about alcohol being evil. This is about the same thing. Deny yourself. Lay down your life for others. If I don't have self-control when I'm sober, I am definitely not going to have self-control when I'm drunk. If I'm... Not If I'm struggling with wisdom and discerning what the Lord's will is, when I am completely with it, it's a struggle. I am totally going to fail when, when I'm drunk. Okay, So that's what this is about. It's, it's about all the context above it. Don't be foolish. Discern what the Lord's will is. Understand what the mind of the Lord is. And if I'm not going to understand that, whether I'm under the influence of alcohol or whether I drink too much coffee or if I... Uh, overmeated at the food truck on Friday. Whatever is going to ruin my discernment, stay away from it. And give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus. If all of a sudden we're giving thanks for everything, how can I slander somebody? If I, if I think about speaking ill of someone but I know that the, it's, it's suitable in the Lord to give thanks for them. Now I'm going to try to find something to give thanks for them about. And that's going to stop me from slandering them, right? And then it all adds up. All right. It's all about freedom. It's not only burn all your R-rated movies if the Lord tells you to, but I'm not telling you to. 
Let's do what's, let's seek the Lord out. Let's discern. Let's figure out what his will is. Let's, let's be deliberate and tasked with this. Like people that you have to go to that extra effort to sail a sailboat into the wind, but a sailboat goes the fastest and it is the most fun, you guys, when you're almost going directly into the wind. That's like the best experience on a sailboat you can have. The Christian life is the same way. You've got to run after this. If you're just adrift like a piece of driftwood, yeah, God bless you. We've got to seek this stuff out and run after Jesus and, and He'll show up and deliver. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for forgiving our sins. That You forgave every bad thing that we will ever do in the past and in the future. And thank You, Lord, that You put Your Holy Spirit into us. That we would be examples and signposts and cheerleaders for Your kingdom to show off who You are and to point other people to Your holiness and to Your righteousness and to Your forgiveness. Be with us, Lord. Give us discernment. Give us discernment and wisdom to seek out more discernment and wisdom. We love you, Lord. Amen. All right. Let's stand and sing Jesus, Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of all. this week, there will be things where you'll wonder, is Jesus the Lord of this part of my life?
And as you tell him, yes, he is, he will show up and he'll help you with it. It's true. God bless you. All right. Ha ha ha. That's what you think. We are doing 